Hello and welcome to The Spectator's Books podcast. I'm Sam Leith, the literary editor of The Spectator, and this week we're going to be talking about the Man Booker Prize, whose long list has recently come out. On that long list, to the great surprise and dismay of some, was for the first time a graphic novel, a comic, which was Nick Dronasso's Sabrina. Joining me from America to talk about this is Gabby Wood, the literary director of the Man Booker Prize. And Gabby, I want to start asking, were you surprised this year to find a graphic novel on the list? Yes. Well, I'm surprised by everything that appears on the long list because you never quite know how it's going to work out until the day of the final meeting. I should add, by the way, that I'm only in America on holiday. <laughs> I don't live here, just in case people get paranoid about there being a director in America. <laughs> but yes, no, it, it was a surprise. Now, many people, and I, I, I'm included among them, are really not sure that you can compare graphic novels to fiction, to prose fiction. Yes. Why is it, do you think, that... You know, why are graphic novels eligible and when did they become so? Because it isn't, you know, presumably this was submitted rather than called in. Yes. Well, yeah, I mean, we're not not supposed to say what's submitted and what's called in, but it it was eligible and it was sent in by the publisher, obviously. So that's that's known. I think I think that's a really important question, whether one thing can be compared to another and what its language is. So. I don't know what your experience was when you were a judge, Sam, but I, I, when I was a judge in 2011, I remember thinking, well, how can we compare these things to each other? And these are just straight, you know, novels written in words. You know, the forms are so different. You think, I don't know. I don't know how to do this. Because when you're reviewing a book, you don't compare it to 170 other books. You, you may compare it to other books written by that author or you may compare it to books you think are similar or in conversation with it in interesting ways. But you, you don't you don't just, I suppose, randomly compare it to other books, hundreds of other books published in the same year. It seems very odd. So I think that question is moot anyway. But but more relevantly, the question of pictures uh, versus words or words and pictures versus just words, that they've actually always been eligible. They just haven't. It's, it's publishers not really think either publishers not really thinking it's worth submitting them or publishers thinking it's not worth taking the risk or graphic novels themselves not really necessarily being good enough or not good enough in the in that publishing world where publishers think they're good enough or readers not catching up to to the form so you know do we read differently now I would say yes and I mean, certainly Anthony Appiah, who's the chair of the judges this year, said that if you'd given that book to his grandmother, she wouldn't have known what to do with it. <laughs> you know? So I think that that really makes a difference. But when you say they've um, always been eligible, is yeah. that, I mean, was that something that was expressed, something that was thought of? I mean, presumably when, when before it was the Man Booker, when it was just the Booker Prize, you know, when it was first founded, that it w- wouldn't have even crossed anyone's mind that a graphic novel would be something that would be eligible for it. I mean, it's 50 years old this year, isn't it? Yes. I mean, well, I don't even know that they were called graphic novels then, or even if they existed in that form. Did they? I mean... Well, they, they, they sort of got rebranded in... Really, I mean, the term's been knocking around since the 60s, I think, but they got rebranded graphic novels, these sort of single-arc-type, long-form comic 
storytelling, kind of in the 1990s, I think, because publishers thought, you know, people look down on comics. They're not, you know, it was a sort of push to give them respectability. Right. That makes sense. Well, would you say Mouse was respectable? I mean, Mouse was published in, I, I don't know, I don't know when it was published as a book. I think the late 80s, early 90s, 80s probably, yeah. I mean, that certainly, if you submitted Mouse now, would you not think that was a lot better than a lot of the prose fiction published this year? Well, I think my argument would be, yes, absolutely, that Mouse is, you know, a lot better than a great many prose novels. Yes. But I would say it's a different category of thing, that its yes, artistic so success that... isn't... You know, it, it, it's, you know, you could say that, I don't know, the Mona Lisa is a lot better than many prose novels, but I wouldn't put, <laughs> you know, the Mona Lisa yeah. in competition against them. Yeah, I absolutely understand that. So so just in answer to your question about the the eligibility, what what happens is there are, the rules are expressed in a certain way, it's almost legalese, and, and then you have to interrogate them in order to work out whether something's eligible. So it's not that it's advertised that something or other is eligible. So the rules say that the books submitted have to be sustained and unified works of fiction. So really that sounds like it's code for not novellas and not short stories. So sustained means it's got to be longish, if possible, um, I think. Unified may mean it shouldn't be short stories, but really that can mean whatever you like. So depending, I suppose, on who is partly depending on who's in my position. I mean, you could say this is an administrative decision. Whoever gets the books in should weed out the ones that are very clearly ineligible. Um, and so you, you could say that, or you could say this is a matter of interpretation, literary judgment, and therefore it's up to the judges in any given year to decide whether something is eligible. I find it's quite difficult when people when publishers call things short stories or novellas on the cover, that that I think, come on, you're just asking for it there. Let's let's not let's not have it, you know. But but other than that, I think it's up to the judges. And this came up. I'm sorry, I'm straying slightly from the graphic novel question, but no, no, I do think it's, this is it's a, it's a wider relevant. question than that. <laughs> so do okay, so, you stray away. So Saloy's book, if this is a man, no, what a man is, if this is a man, not quite that. Um, <laughs> it's Primo Levius. Yes, sorry, Primo Levi versus uh, versus David Saloy. That was shortlisted for the prize a couple of years ago, and there was this question over whether that was a novel, whether it was short stories strung together. And I suppose one answer to that was that the author himself wanted it to be read as a novel, and so that's the vein in which it had to be received by the judges. Now the judges could say, "We don't, we don't agree. We don't think it's a novel. You may be offering us th this in the form of a novel, but we we don't think it is one." But they didn't. They just thought, "Okay, I've been given something to read, and I think it's really good." And so the bottom line is, for me, again, I don't know how you remember your discussions, but I think the discussion that goes, "Is this a novel?" is more or less the least interesting discussion you can have and much less interesting than the question of whether it's any good or whether it's doing something and what it might be doing, what it might be up to, that book, any book. And, and so if it's possible to avoid the questions of whether something is a novel and whether it is the dreaded word literary, I think that's quite good. So, Do you think uh, literary is... I mean, we think of Man Booker as being a, a prize for literary fiction, but that's probably because historically it's tended to reward fiction. We've tended to think of as literary. But yes, do you I think the word has any any real heft in what Booker should be considering? 
I think the word has a little bit of danger, actually, rather than heft. I think that it, what it's designed, it's actually a sort of publishing term. I mean, what it's designed to distinguish is a, a sort of posh book from a sort of, well, essentially a genre book. And I certainly think, I think the danger, for example, if you're a writer and you sit down to write what you call literary fiction, I mean, you're forbidding yourself all sorts of possible experiments there. You know, I mean, you could be, you, you just should sit down to write. I'm not telling writers how to write. I just think that this is relevant to readers too. If you if you say this is a literary novel, it's essentially an expression of snobbery. It just means it's not a sci-fi novel. It's not a crime novel. It's not a graphic novel, I suppose. Well, as somebody's, I, I think, I can't remember who it was. I think it's an SF writer who said, you know, literary fiction should recognise that it's just another genre and get over itself. Absolutely. It is another genre. And, I don't, I, and if it is another genre, does that sound exciting? No, it just sounds like it's an, sort of an excluding feature. So I, I don't think the word is very useful. And I also think it is, it's a sort of veiled form of snobbery that it would be good to get rid of somehow, because it, it also doesn't really seem to be asking the question of quality. You know, there are lots of crime novels, well, not lots, maybe, but some, some crime novels I have read that I think uh, are fantastic and are doing more interesting things than a lot of books that some people might call literary. I mean, Anthony Lane, I don't know if you ever read Anthony Lane's brilliant piece about Elmore Leonard saying he'd rather read any Elmore Leonard than any Iris Murdoch. Well, obviously... <laughs> It's easy to disagree with that, but it's also quite easy, I think, to agree. It's very so, easy to agree. You are. But, I mean, I, actually, Man Booker over the years has become, it seems to be, much more hospitable to genre writing. I'm thinking of things like Child 44, which I think was shortlisted, wasn't it? And that's sort of thriller. Yeah. And Snowdrops by A.D. Miller, which was another shortlistee that had thriller elements. Yeah. Yes. I mean, hospitable is a very good word. I mean, it is to do with welcome rather than any sort of agenda. You know, it's not let's have more of this or that. It's just let's see. Let's see what's happening in that in, in the world of writing. That That's all really. Are, are the judges open to anything that might be happening? That's interesting, because the problem is, if you decide you know what you're looking for in advance, then you're not going to find out what's going on. You're only going to find what you've already decided you're looking for. And I think that's no way to, to judge, you know, advances in writing and reading. Do you? I mean, I, I don't know. There's, some, there's a sort of failure of logic there to me somehow. I think that's fair enough. I think that there is, you know, within all that, though, it seems to be, you know, we talk about crime novels, particularly when we talk about genres, because at the moment crime is one of the genres that's seen as sort of respectable. And, you know, the sword and sandals merchants, you know, less so, chiclet, less so, you know, in the 70s, maybe SF was, was you know, one of the genres that was at the time really ascendant and probably now science fiction with relatively rare exceptions, like people like China Mayville and maybe Nick Harkaway, isn't, yes. isn't given quite as much cachet as, as your top end crime writers or, or spy writers. You know, John le Carre's eligibility for Man Booker has always been, a, I mean, I know he rules himself out, but has always been one of those kind of perennial subjects people say you know why doesn't Le Carre win the booker yes well I I would agree I mean I think for example J.G. Ballard was a judge but none of his books have ever been on the list uh, but then you could say that of Angela Carter I mean she she was never longlisted or shortlisted I mean longlist didn't exist then but so it's not necessarily a genre thing but I I agree with you I think China Mievel is a really interesting writer 
Uh, I think that Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy should definitely have been in competition, you know. So you can you can say these things historically or you can say them with reference to people writing now. But the, the main difficulty is that it has to be do the book, any book has to be doing a number of, I suppose, quite sophisticated or well, I hate the word profound, but you know, it has to be doing a number of, of things. And the difficulty with a, a crime novel, if you're a judge, I think, is that by the time you get to choosing the winner, as you know, you, you've read that book three times. And if the main thing about it is how the plot turns out, then you're going to be quite bored. If that's not the only thing that the book offers, and many of these books which are designated as SF or crime offer a lot more, then you know, you're going to still be wanting to read it a third time. And so that that's the main I think that's the main criterion really, is does it what what else does it give you? And quite often crime novels are essentially plot driven and that doesn't really bear rereading in the same way as as, as other books do. How do you think I mean the novel as it's you know, as it's expressed through Booker Long Lists has changed over the last few years. Do you think I mean, we always hark back to a sort of imaginary past in which the so called Hampstead adultery novel, which I've never seen an example in the wild, um <laughs> was supposedly this kind of central genre. What do you think's the mainstream now? What's 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 the mainstream what, what's That's Booker showing us? if I have an answer to that you always want the long list to tell some sort of story don't you if you're a journalist and then it doesn't quite I think I think what is interesting is that and you know this particular long list has been criticized see this is also interesting this this particular long list has been criticized for being sort of northern hemispherical you know and actually that that's partly accidental I mean these are the books that the judges thought were best but it's also again Well, I do remember in 2015, there was, you know, we had a fairly diverse, you know, happily diverse long list. Though at the same time, people complained, well, all these writers are Americans. It was because lots of them had come from, you know, Jamaica or China or wherever it was to live in America, because that was where you could write, you know. Well, exactly, exactly. And so, yeah, of course you want diverse, but you're also, you know, that when you're reading these books, that these are forms of language that have come from you know, experiences from all over the world. And, and actually, I think that is really different that when we when you say the Hampstead adultery novel, I mean, I mean, there are plenty of adultery novels still, but I think Hampstead is much less likely to be the location of uh, either the, you know, the events in the novel or the author. So yes. that people that, young I, enough to commit adultery can't afford to live in Hampstead anymore. That's probably the main thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. No, they have to do it somewhere else. But I think uh, so. I think that is quite interesting and pleasing that novels, that the, the novels that are in contention for the Man Booker are being written from, uh, you know, written all over the world, and they are describing events all over the world. I think what women do in the novels is quite interesting. So not just diversity or equality in the in the makeup of the authors, but are there strong female characters? I think there are some really interesting female characters in sort of recent, uh, have been in recent long lists. And Sarah Hall, who was a judge last year, asked this wonderful question. She said, I'm just wondering whether we're expecting 
female characters to be better behaved than the male characters? <laughs> do, do we have the same degree of patience with nasty women in books? And I thought that was fantastic. You know, are, are we adjusting as readers? Are we adjusting our own minds appropriately? You know, have we caught up to what, what books are doing? So that's very different. So the geography is different. I do think there is a, there's more openness to differences of well, novelties of form, not even genre, just but so lang- language and form. I do, I do think there's more variety there. But to get to get back maybe to where we started, this sort of thing yeah. of novelties yeah. of form and language of form. You know, if we're saying graphic fiction is eligible, which in some ways, you know, more resembles a play than a, a work of prose fiction. You know, the the the, the words in that tend to be. You know their, their dialogue, obviously. So it's more like a, I mean, would a play potentially count as a unified and sustained work of fiction if you did a long thing in play form? Very interesting, isn't it? It's to do with whether it's complete. So George Saunders's book, which won last year, Lincoln in the Bardo, is quite like a play. And in fact, when he started writing that book, he put well, it's hard to describe, isn't it? But that it's sort of composed of essentially a series of epigraphs. So there are passages. And then the, the passage is spoken by characters and then there's an attribution underneath that passage to whoever said it. And he actually had that when he was writing the book at first. He had written it out like a play. So there's a character colon speech. And then he inverted it so that there was speech and then an attribution. And then it became a novel suddenly. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so it's a typographical dodge. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, so you, you listen to the audiobook and it is a play. I mean, these parts are being read by different people, different actors. But there it is. It's presented as a novel. It is interesting in its form, and it does a hell of a lot more than that. So so the question is whether it's a finished piece of work. A play is essentially not really a finished piece of work. I think, I think a playwright would say that, you know, that here are some words. It's anticipating a staging. It's anticipating actors to interpret those words in certain ways. That's how it's being offered to the world, a play. And, and a novel or, or anything, a novel graphic or otherwise, is a finished piece of work. I think that's the distinction. Go on. Sorry. Could you conceive of, I mean, you know, again, we think of fiction as involving words. There are graphic novels that don't contain any or many words at all. Would you have a problem at your administrative end of it if a publisher submitted a long, sustained, complete graphic novel, which was a work of fiction, and yet which didn't have any words in it at all? It would be so interesting, wouldn't it? I have thought of that. And actually exciting to think about. I, I looked at the rules. Well, I, obviously I looked at the rules again when Sabrina came up. And there is nothing to say that it has to be composed of words, actually. <laughs> so the, the question there is whether you've got judges who are fit to judge it also. so Well, you have judge- a graphic novelist on this year's panel, don't you? And that, that I guess, is helpful. That's right. Leanne Shapton, who's a graphic novelist, is on the on the panel. But it was interesting, actually. I, I mean, I, obviously, I'm not supposed to say much about their discussions, but the others could easily have said, we don't feel equipped to judge this. We, we don't feel our expertise allows us to say with, whether or not this is any good. We can enjoy it, but we can't necessarily say yeah. whether it's any good. They, they, they could easily have done that, and that would have been fine. They would have just then all, all together, because, as you know, it has to be a joint decision, you know, dismissed it. But they didn't, actually. They all responded to it in interesting ways. And they all agreed. Well, they didn't all agree at first whether it should be whether it could be compared together. So your question of whether it was comparable, obviously, and importantly, 
came up. But they had all responded to its contents in ways that were different from each other. So that was interesting to witness. And then Leanne did talk about the pictures specifically, so what they were doing. And then they all talked about that. So I suppose you have different people to contribute to the discussion in different ways. And that comes up with wholly written books as well, doesn't it? I mean, there'll be somebody who's read a lot of things in this vein and will say, I don't think this is the best of X or Y, you know? Of course. Um, So so that did did happen. But the question of, of what the words were doing was really interesting because as one of them pointed out, and this is, I think, a wonderful thing to think about, all of the words in Sabrina are speech. There, there is no description except in the drawings. Well, there's, so, there's various blogs and sort of internet postings, aren't there? That are... Right, but they're also, but they're pictorial. I mean, I suppose that's true. They contain words, but they're not, they're things that are being kind of imbibed by the characters yes. in some way. So yeah. It's a bit like, you know, I mean, you know, it's a bit like, like Balzac saying, and he looked at the tablecloth and it was like this, you know, so yes. that that's what doesn't exist. That That only exists in pictures. So there's no other description. So you have to understand that the worldview is being conveyed to you by the images. And therefore, that's how you're receiving it. And that is language, isn't it? I mean... Yeah, it's a sort of language. I mean, you could argue over... <laughs> You know, it's language yeah. in the extended sense. Does that mean, do you think, that if this is going to be a thing, as it obviously now is, you know, precedent's been set, it's going to be necessary for you as the administrators and the people who run the prize to make sure that, given that, you know, historically you've always chosen people whose speciality is, you know, judging prose fiction, you're going to need to find for each year's panel, at least one person who's got some expertise or grounding in visual art or graphic storytelling? That's an interesting question. I hadn't really thought of that. I I actually don't think so, because I think the judges are... I mean, having said it was important to have some expertise, but there are lots of other things that you need expertise in as well. I mean, supposing a really great SF novel turned up and you didn't have an SF writer on the panel and the others thought, oh, this is good, but we haven't really read much of it. I mean, you know... things are likely to fall through the net that way anyway. You can't cover everything. In in a similar way, with the International Prize, there's always a translator on the panel, but that translator doesn't, only speaks, you know... Yeah, however many languages. Languages, you know, they they only speak the the languages that they translate from. So you you can't capture everything. So, and that, that seems, somehow feels instinctively a little bit too regimented to me. And I do think that the judges on the whole are receiving things for readers. You know, they're doing it on behalf of the general reader. And they have to be equipped to do that. They can't just hand over something that a, a normal reader isn't going to be able to appreciate, you know. So I, I think that's OK. But I think it's an interesting question. Just can I go back quickly? I, I just thought of another comparison. This is going to be something slightly random. So I'm glad you're editing this because you can cut it out if you want to. But um, I... Uh, I just remembered I had a, a, a phase of watching a lot of Mary Pickford films. I don't know if you've seen how many silent films you've seen, but they're they're very funny, a lot of Mary Pickford films. And when I first went in, so there was a, a season of them and I, I went in thinking, well, this will be interesting because they don't have sound. So they're obviously going to have to use the titles to convey information. What will it be like? I mean, what was it like for these poor people who didn't have sound, didn't have speech in film and had to use titles to, you know, to to compensate. And actually, you sit in these things and the titles are all gags. 
I mean, they're, <laughs> they're completely unnecessary. And I mean, it, it, to the extent that you think, is that a wasted title in this silent film? And I mean, okay, so are the jokes superfluous to the film? Of course they're not, they're totally integral to the mood of the film, it's a funny film, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, and some of them obviously are sight gags, so you don't need the titles, but they're not acting in compensation at all. Yeah. So there is no lack in a silent film. We think there is because we now have sound and we think, oh, well, what did, the, did those poor things do without it? But the form, so the form has changed. The, the form, of, you know, sound film can now do certain things. It took them a while to know what to do with it. You know, Greta Garbo's voice was okay, but other people's voices were absolutely terrible. You know, so, so it's like that. So the graphic novel has been great for a while. Have people understood how to read it? Not necessarily. Have, has has every incarnation of it been wonderful? Not necessarily. It, it, it's that sort of thing. Uh, there yeah. is, I mean, it seems to me, you know, you've been t- talking very lucidly in, about the way in which, you know, if you're considering, say, an SF novel or a thriller, you know, you'll be, or even a, you know, literary novel, whatever that is, um, you'll be considering it in terms of its relationship to others of its kind and of its genre. But the evolution of the graphic novel as a, as a thing, as an artistic form, has been quite separate from the evolution of the of prose fiction, don't you think? Yes, historically, uh, absolutely. And I think, I mean, you you wrote this very good piece in the FT about it and made this point, uh, an interesting point I thought about how um, quite often they're collaborations. So you could say that about a film. A film is always collaborative. Could you possibly compare it to a novel? You know, probably not, I suppose. Not in terms of quality, but, you know, should they be submitted for the same prizes? No. Um, there does have to be a single author. And, yes, I mean, historically... Why does there have to be a single author, out of interest? Hmm, yeah, I don't know. But I suppose that's how it is at the moment. Do you think that should be changed? <laughs> well, I think if you're, if you're, you know, letting graphic novels in, in a way, that's... That is, I mean, there are the sort of auteur graphic novels of people like Dan Clues and Chris Ware and, you know, yes. Adrian Tamine and, you know, the, the sort of people who are probably in the territory that's likely to come into, into Man Booker consideration. But, you know, obviously, historically, a huge number of graphic works have, if you like, a scriptwriter and, and an artist and sometimes, you know, someone who's doing the pencils and someone who does the inks and someone who does the lettering and a colourist and... You know, the, yeah. a much more collaborative form historically. I think that yes, exactly, and I think that would be very hard to judge it. I mean, it does it does raise the question of what you're doing. Are you admitting a form, or are you accepting a communication from an author? You know, and the David Saloy question suggests that it's the latter. The author wants you to receive this message in the following way. He thinks it's a novel in this case, and you see if you if you do receive it in that way. And so I think it's that more than would we like to open it to all sorts of forms. Although, you know, with the Man Booker International, which rewards the translator of a book as well as the author, of course, that's already now opened up. I mean, it is essentially a collaboration that's being rewarded. But I I think that gets into quite messy territory. I I think in a way, so so if you're thinking about authorship, take, take Sabrina, it's got big ideas, you know, as you, as you know, there's, well, I don't know how much to give away, but you know, there's a murder in it. There's the, it's there's a lot about the news cycle, the military. You know, paranoia, trauma. But but you know, there there are these sort of big ideas. But but actually, 
the language. I mean, I, I know I, I can I can feel that you think this is very suspect. My my <laughs> speaking about language as if it could be anything. But I'm you know, saying nothing. <laughs> the, the language is obviously in the in the palette or in the pace of it. You know the 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 number of frames required. To, they're not called frames, are they? I don't even know. Panels, yeah. frames. Oh, you could call them frames. Though. Cells, frames, and and again, that's interesting. The way some people will respond to this as if it were a film. You know, one of the judges referred to the last shot in the book <laughs> in conversation. That was quite interesting to hear. You know, that we're sort of melding all these. Anyway, you know, the language is in the the palette and the pace of it, and and those those things, the palette and pace, are ones of numbness, aren't they? In Sabrina, you know, yeah. there's a sort of I think I saw somebody head. somebody writing about it saying using that Philip Larkin line about you know days are where we live, and it's got that sense of them living in these panels and these days. Yes, exactly. Panels. There you go. Yes, I mean because it's very slow moving, but I think also this grey toned down. I mean, somebody else said that it was like reading something, a sort of communication from someone who's on antidepressants, and and you feel like well, yeah. I mean, maybe that's just how things are. Not very effective moment. ones. <laughs> No, <laughs> right, yeah, perhaps the anti there. So, well, yeah, down <laughs> of one kind or another. Perhaps the anti-anxiety drugs rather than antidepressants. Um, so I, I do think there's something in that, that he, Donasso, is is conveying something whole. You know, it's just, and the means are different, the means are interesting, or the means are considered by the judges to be interesting. Whether it can be compared to others, I suppose that's always going to be an open question, isn't it? Oh. I suppose it's one finally, you know, as you rightly say, for the judges. But, you know, controversy will continue. <laughs> Gabby, <laughs> thank you very yeah. much indeed. Oh, thank well, thank you for having me. You were listening to The Spectator's Books podcast. I very much hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please do consider rating or reviewing us on the iTunes store. We'd love to hear from you. 